when you've been to the event and you know what the electricity is like and the magic that's in the air, the daunting task of how do we recreate this for 1,200 women at home? This is The Day That Changed Everything, a podcast series produced by Maine Biz, Maine's business news source. Every two weeks, we will post an interview with a Maine business leader whose life or business was upended in one day and learned how they navigated their way back. If all great changes are preceded by chaos, then this podcast series seeks to help us make sense of the chaos. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. This is Jennifer Cook of Norway Savings Asset Management Group. Here, we believe in family asset management. Simply put, it means we do right by you and your loved ones. And it's not necessarily the size of the portfolio we care about. It's the story behind it, a story that's unique to you. Let us help you write your next chapter. For more information, visit norwaysavings.bank. Investment products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed by the bank, and may lose value. Welcome. It's Donna Broussard from Mainbiz here today with The Day That Changed Everything. We're going to be talking with Julie Marchese and Julia Batchelder, both from the Maine Cancer Foundation. And we're going to be talking about the Try for a Cure, the triathlon event that, given COVID, had to literally shift from an in-person event to a virtual event. And how do you do that in in just a few weeks to turn it around. That certainly is a day that changed everything for them. So let's start off by talking about what the Maine Cancer Foundation is, first of all, and what a triathlon is, in case people don't know what that is. And my understanding is, Julie, this was your brainstorm to to have a triathlon event to raise money for the Maine Cancer Foundation 12, 13 years ago. It was probably about 15 years ago, actually. The idea was 15 (laughs) years ago, right? Right. It takes a while for it to percolate a bit. So the Maine Cancer Foundation, you're a member of the board. My understanding is you're a member of the board. I was back then. Um, I'm no longer on the board. I'm only the race director for Try for a Cure. So I was on the board many years ago. I was on the development committee. So again, part of my job on the development committee was to talk about events. And we had just finished a golf event that, again, at the time, everybody was doing golf scrambles. It was getting harder and harder to raise money. And we were just throwing ideas out at the table as to what we could do to replace that. I had just come back from doing a triathlon, my first triathlon as a cancer survivor at the Danskin down in Worcester. It wasn't in Worcester, Mass., but it was in Woburn, Mass. And It was the most incredible thing I had done in my life. And for me, when I crossed that finish line, I just wanted everybody to feel what I felt that day. It was just total self-satisfaction. I mean, it was just amazing. I never thought that I could do something like that. So I put my hand up and I said, let's do an all-women's triathlon. And of course, you know, you're asking me, what is a triathlon? That's what everybody did that day too. (laughs) They're like, what is a triathlon? And I said, well, come on guys, it's a swim, bike, run. And uh, they're like, well, how do you envision somebody putting that on? It sounds like, you know, a big ordeal. And I said, well, give me a couple of weeks and I'll figure it out. <laughs> right. So when you say swim, bike, run, what sure. what do you have so to So our event is what is called a sprint triathlon. It is a one-third mile swim, a 15-mile bike, and a 3.1-mile run. And so that is the smallest, some people call it a mini try, but it's it's a it's called a sprint try, and that's the smallest beginner type triathlon. Mm-hmm. 
And so they, you came back to them with the idea, and they yeah. said, and We're they said, try. let's, you know, you bring us back some support. We we need to know if you can raise thirty five thousand dollars. That was the budget. And after just talking some to some women in my network, I felt that I had a couple of really good businesses that would be willing to support it, and that alone you know, made us think that this was a really good idea. So they backed me and the team that we put together and said, let's do it. And it took a couple of years for it to actually happen. So did you but, make $35,000 that first year? Oh, we made $175,000 well, that very first year. There yes, and we sold out year one. So we've been sold out every year since. And we've been raising the bar every single year since. And uh, 2019, we raised over $2 million. In one day. In one day. Which, according to what I've heard, is the biggest one-day fundraising event in Maine. And it may be one of the largest triathlon fundraisers in the country. Yes. That's huge. That's yes. really huge. And how many p- people participate in something like that? Well, this year we have, um, well, last year we had about 1,200 women. And they can either do the race as an individual, so they can do the swim bike run themselves, or they could do it as a team where each person would take a different part. And you can have up to three members on a team. Yeah. So there's about 700 people that do it individually and about 250 relays that we have each year. Wow. Julia, your job as event manager is to help pull this thing off, right? Yeah, um, I actually did the try myself back in 2011. That was my first triathlon, loved it. And then when I was leaving a job in event marketing, a job was opened here, which was really a perfect fusion for me of my marketing or events background, passion for triathlon that <laughs> that came as a result of Try for a Cure and also fighting cancer. I mean, cancer touches everyone. It touches my family. So it's really just been kind of a dream job for me. And, and I am the one who gets to be the point of contact for a participant. So I'm interacting with them on a daily basis, by phone, by email, um, and I'm constantly just inspired by what they bring to this event. Absolutely. And so you have 1,200 people participating, and I'm sure there must be a lot of volunteers you have to coordinate as well to get all that work done. Absolutely. Um, It takes about 500 volunteers to put it on over the course of the weekend, typically. So that was definitely a disappointment this year, not getting to interact with some of those faces that we are so used to Mm -hmm. seeing year after year. Um, But it was kind of neat because we did get to see several of them come back as participants, which was special. That is special. And so there's 500 volunteers. 1,200 participants, um, and you must have to get a lot of other people involved. I mean, the race track, the race course, and getting towns, I'm sure there were a lot of coordination involved with that. Definitely. That's a huge undertaking. Um, the course itself goes through three different towns. It goes through South Portland, obviously, Cape Elizabeth, and it even touches through Scarborough. So it's a coordination of the police departments, the harbor master, and the Coast Guard. It definitely takes, you know, we say it takes a village to put it on, I and mean, that couldn't be more accurate. <laughs> it really takes a whole state. So right. a lot of planning goes into it. Julie's in charge of a lot of logistics, and it's, I think, at this point, it's kind of a well-oiled machine where we've been doing it for so long. I'm sure the city missed us this year. <laughs> right. So 2019 was your pinnacle year, over $2 million in, in, in fundraising, all these people involved. And obviously, these kinds of events need to be planned well in advance. So I'm assuming you, you had started planning the 2020 event pretty much right after the 2019 event ended, right? 
Absolutely. We open registration for the drawing typically the day after the event wraps. So people get home, they finish, they're riding this high, they can't wait for next year to come back and you know beat their time and raise a few more dollars. So we had, as you say, we've been planning since last July and things changed. <laughs> yes. So we're going to talk about that. So the day that changed everything, when COVID hit and the guidelines came out, obviously doing an event with 1,200 people it was probably not it was not an option for you, even though it's an outside event. Julie, what was going through your heads when, when this started to happen? Well, it's really hard because I think that a lot of the women that do the Try for a Cure year after year, it's kind of like their pinnacle of their summer. And so everybody was really looking forward to it and we certainly didn't want to be a disappointment to anybody so we had to really think long and hard about how we were going to take the next steps if we couldn't do the try and if we were going to go virtual it had to be the best virtual race that that we could possibly put on people are so used to coming to the try and it's it's the highlight of their summer Mm -hmm. and um, we needed to find a way to make this event the highlight of their summer whether they're with us or without us right did you guys consider postponing or not doing it when the when the covid guidelines came down where you couldn't really put this on the way you had been in the past i'm gonna say a hard no on that okay um a hard no comes from cancer doesn't stop so we couldn't stop there you go uh we had to find a way to support the programs that we've supported in the past by all the funds that are raised by our event so people that have cancer in this state of maine were looking forward to (laughs) the money going back into the to the community and we needed to support that right Julia, how, what were you feeling at that time? How did how were you sort of handling that? What was your reaction? When we when we knew for sure that the try was not going to be happening in person, I felt pretty defeated. It, you know, it's such an amazing event that, as Julie said, people look forward to. It's the highlight of their summer. It's the highlight of our summer. I mean, we, this is something we're planning year round and. You know, when you've been to the event and you know what the electricity is like and the magic that's in the air, you know, the daunting task of how do we recreate this for 1,200 women at home? Because as, as, as Julie mentioned, we really wanted, we didn't want to just say, okay, everyone, go do a swim, bike, and run at home. You know, see you next year. Raise some money. Great. Thank you so much. We really wanted people to feel connected um, to each other, to the event. Mm-hmm. And so we immediately went into action trying to find a way to recreate that same, you know, sense of camaraderie, work, um, teamwork that right. just lived in a different format. <laughs> right. Okay. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to find out what you guys did to, to make it happen again for this year, given the fact that you couldn't do it in person. And we'll be right back. Remember why you went into business? You can say to fulfill a dream or change the world, but I'll bet the real reason you went into business was to make money. So how are you doing? And would you like to do better? Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications has been helping Maine businesses better do what they were built to do. Make money by reaching audiences, catching eyes and ears, and helping them make the sale. Worth a phone call? Find Sutherland Weston Marketing Communications online at SutherlandWeston.com. People were doing unconventional things in an unconventional year, and they were doing a fabulous job of it. That's all I can say. I just don't know how they did it. They just had to be passionate about it, and people were passionate back and still opened their pockets. 
This is Donna Broussard, and I'm talking with Julie Marchese and Julia Batchelder from the Maine Cancer Foundation and Try for a Cure. Now that you could not have the event in person as you have for the last 12 years, and you decided you needed to, and I hate to use this word because everybody uses this word, but what word am I going to use? Pivot. pivot. <laughs> That's right. So when you had to pivot, what were the first steps that you took to decide how you were going to face this challenge? Yeah, it was definitely one of those moments of, okay, what, you know, how do we even move forward? There's no roadmap for this. The first step was definitely to talk with WEX, our presenting sponsor. We were nervous. We, you know, just with all of our sponsors and people who had, you know, invested quite a bit in this event and we weren't sure what we could deliver them. And so we wanted to have their support. And from day one, WEX was amazing. And they said, basically, you know, we're all in, we're here, whatever you need. And so that gave us a lot of confidence as we rolled out the announcement to our participants, engaging the other sponsors. And frankly, we were just amazed. I think the thing that I'm most proud of is that not one single participant asked for a refund. So when you have 1,200 people who have registered for an event expecting a certain experience and not one person says, oh, you know, forget it, I don't want to do this virtually, can I have my money back? I think that speaks volumes to these women and, you know, they're not in this for race, they're in it to make a difference and a difference they made. (laughs) Okay. What was the changes that you made? So instead of being able to do it live at the event to to do the bike, swim and run, what, what was the option for participants to do this year? Well, we felt that everybody had certain challenges around the epidemic that was going on. So we felt that we needed to relax all the rules and let everybody make their own. And so we basically said, you know, it doesn't really matter what your race looks like. It matters about making a goal and and sticking to it. Um, So we just made suggestions about, you know, ways in which you could do your try. And, you know, people really caught on. Like, you know, one woman, she really wasn't ready to do the try, but she got up and she walked every morning for um, a mile. And she posted it on her Facebook page and, you know, talked about what she thought about during that mile. And that was her try. So, you know, we tried to show that the try didn't, like this non-traditional year, the triathlon didn't need to be traditional. Now, most women did do a traditional try, I would say, but then others were very creative. So they would, you know, take their bike and go past uh, the cemetery in which, you know, their loved one that had passed of cancer to to have memories of of them. So, you know, we tried to really give them great ideas on how to make it memorable for them. And, you know, they had different family members that actually did the event with them, you know, and at the try, that's not possible. So um, they were really able to create whatever kind of race they wanted it to be for them. And Did you find that you had different kinds of participants because they didn't have to come to Southern Maine to be at that, you know, that day, that time to do the event, that they could do it no matter where they were in the state and at any time? Right. So we kept registration open once we decided to go virtual, and we had 160 people sign up since that date. And I think that they were people that wouldn't necessarily come and do the try because, you know, for them it was, you know, something that they didn't know that they they could do or partake in. So they could do it their way and still um, help make, you know, donate to the community and make a difference. So 
you know, we had a lot of, there's one woman, Susan, she's been the volunteer coordinator for the last 10 years. And we've always said, no, you don't need to do the race. At first, she, you know, when she first learned about us, she was considering doing the race. Um, she actually did it this year. And Julie and I both did it this year, and we've never been able to do that before. And I think that some of the volunteers, and, and I know, I won't speak for Julia, but for myself, it was really nice to sit back and see it from a different angle, because when you're working the event, the event is much different than being in the event. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do our own try in our own way, and, you know, we both fundraised. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like knowing the job and asking others to do it so we got to experience that part ourselves so what was the participation like this year we were really blown away by the participation um, so when we made the change we already had we'd done the drawing back in February as Julie mentioned most people were already registered we did bring on an additional 160 170 women which was incredible that they signed up knowing it was a virtual event and then we weren't so but we weren't really sure we, you know of these 1200 people I thought oh shoot you know maybe 300 of them will go on to actually do the the swim bike and run we just we had no idea we've, we've never done something like this before and one thing as part of changing to virtual is that we instead of being a one-day triathlon we had a 30-day window from usa triathlon where we were insured so we chose august 1st through 30th and gave women you know, flexibility. You can do it, pick any day. You can do it on one day. You can do it on three days. You know, do your swim one day, bike another, run the next. Um, there was, as Julie mentioned, that woman who did a walk every single morning. So um, the fact that there was some flexibility, I think, really encouraged more people to participate than maybe would have if we'd said, okay, it's, you know, the try date is still just July 19th, go out and swim, bike, and run but people were able to choose what worked best for them. And so it was really neat getting to see, instead of seeing one triathlon on July 19th, we got to see 1,200 different triathlons. Or we, it's, it's hard to know exactly the number since we didn't see every single one, but uh, one thing that was really special was we made a, a Facebook group where all the women could go in there and communicate, share photos, and that turned out to be the just the most amazing just thing to watch with everybody would somebody would post a photo whether it was training or their actual try and everyone else would jump in and encourage them and offer advice and so the camaraderie really was able to come alive in that way so we had good participation with this new format so what about the fundraising dollars did you last year was 2 million did you expect to make that much again this year if you'd asked me that back in early March, I would have said yes. <laughs> uh, of course, things changed, and we didn't know what to expect, as is kind of the theme of, of this whole event and, and what everyone's been going through. Internally, we kind of thought it would be great if we made $500,000. That would be a huge win. And so we didn't, you know, from the get-go, we didn't put a number on it. We still kind of shot for that $2 million. We had that goal on our website. We didn't take it down. Um, we thought maybe if we get to 500 that would be great. Clearly blew by that pretty fast. And and it was, I think, back in the beginning of the summer where I thought, you know, we can, we can do a million dollars, I think. I think that's reachable. And when we hit a million dollars, we thought, lucky year 13, let's go for 1.3 to match it. Great. And and participants, you know, stepped up. And what I think is amazing is that, you know, in a traditional year, there, 
each participant raise on, you know, we have a $500 minimum normally, and participants raise an average of $1,100, even $1,200. This year, I just pulled it, it was $952 per person, which is incredible when you think about the fact that they're out there trying to make up their own triathlon. Um, you know, the network of people that they're probably asking for donations has potentially been affected, probably very likely been affected in some way with their finances. But I think it's a real testament to how everybody's affected by cancer. Everybody still wants to support this cause. And so the fundraising, you know, as of right now, we're closing in on 1.3, and I'm just so proud. It's it's really, you know, big kudos to our participants who really blew away any expectation we had. That's that was amazing experience. What was it like asking people for money to help you support in fundraising in time of COVID? Were people hesitant to ask for fundraising dollars, do you think? Well, I think timing really was perfect for us at first. You know, when we were contemplating going virtual versus live and all that stuff, everybody's like, oh, gosh, we're really nervous about, you know, asking people for money at this point because, you know, people were losing jobs. It was really pretty bad. So, you know, we felt, God, I, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But as time went on, um, people started to, you know, change and understand what was going on and and, and then people felt more comfortable about asking for money. And when you talk about cancer doesn't stop, and people still have, there are lots of people out there that still have the extra money that have set money aside to make donations. And so they're going to make them to foundations that are in need and have touched them. And there hardly is anybody <laughs> that hasn't been touched by cancer. So it really was amazing, the people asking and receiving. It really was. And people weren't able to do events like they have in the past. Like we had a lot of people that would um, go to restaurants and get a percentage of sales while right. restaurants were That's closed. Right. People were making masks and donating all their masks, you know, what they made for masks to the Try for a Cure. And, you know, people were doing unconventional things in an unconventional year, and they were doing a fabulous job of it. That's all I can say. I just don't know how they did it. They just had to be passionate about it, and people were passionate back and still opened their pockets. That's awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the future, what lessons did we learn from this experience, and what... Try for a Cure looks like for 2021, and we'll be right back. Mainers have an unrivaled work ethic, an endless supply of ideas, a boundless energy to create, and the perseverance to not say it's done until it's done better than it was before, which is why the Maine Technology Institute was created to support, nurture, and invest in those qualities and make Maine a place where ideas and people can thrive. To see how MTI supports innovation, go to maintechnology.org. That's maintechnology.org. What has happened in the past only makes us stronger for the future. So I, again, whatever we learn from this year and any year previously to this one only builds upon what we do for the years to come. This is Donna Broussard. We're back with Julie Marchese and Julia Batchelder from Try for a Cure. So... Congratulations, ladies. It sounds like you really pulled off an awesome event. It gave everybody a good experience as well as met your fundraising goals. So congratulations. So 
obviously this was a long learning curve and we've learned lessons. So what lessons did you learn from this that we might be able to share with others who are faced with a similar challenge? Well, I think that um, our, our motto, cancer tries, we try harder. If you've got something that you are striving to have a goal with, you can't just give up because something strikes and it could be anything. So you just have to keep reaching for your goals. And I think that with us, there was no, no was not an option. And so we had to just push people to realize that there was a goal there and, you know, you still had to do your race and you still needed to raise for you know, money for the cause. And our community is pretty amazing. And um, I think it just solidified how important this cause is for so many people in our community. Julia, what did you learn from this experience? So much. <laughs> I think what I, what I really learned and is something that I knew but was reinforced is that the women who do Try for a Cure are, you know, we have elite athletes. We have all ranges of, of women who come out for the race. But it's not about the race. It's really about, um, you know, the cause and also the connections. And I think my biggest takeaway was and kind of success was that we were able to really connect people, connect with people, whether it was the Facebook group where everyone interacted, you know, a, a silly thing that we at first weren't going to do, but we thought, you know, this is a quick way to make people feel like they're part of something as we sent out race tattoos. So people shared photos of their tattoos and it's something that's going to be, I think that people are going to take with them in future years. I think that, you know, hopefully next year we are back to a quote unquote normal try, but I think people are going to have really amazing memories of, of the support that they felt. The biggest, um, kind of curiosity for me was what are the what are the first timers going to think when they have to come and kind of try to recreate an event they've never experienced and um and the feedback we got from them was that this was a perfect way to kind of dip their toe into triathlon most of them had never done a try never done try for a cure and yet stepped up and are really excited about next year which we are as well so so talking about next year so the goal is to plan for the quote-unquote like you said normal try uh, in-person event are you also making a plan b (laughs) i think everybody's not only a plan b a plan c d e f g so yes as of right now we are planning and excited about july 18th 2021 the registration drawing is open people are signing up and we're just going to take it day by day we're have a strong community of women who are really excited and looking forward to being a live event we've also added a virtual option so if people are feeling like you know whether they live somewhere else and they got to experience it virtually this year and they know they won't be in Maine next year or they're just feeling like you know for me this feels better if I can do it myself I can do you know I'm not a swimmer I want to do a run and a bike at home that's great so we're going to work on you know planning for the for for a quote-unquote traditional try but also putting in place a system that will allow anyone to participate. That's smart. So you're expanding. Exactly. You're yep. the people who can participate. Yes, That's we're good. always looking at those silver linings that have come out of this event. Exactly. And the virtual and, models. And, and sponsors are happy and are, you're thinking they'll be back? Yes, we haven't started the formal process of recruiting sponsors for next year, but we've had some wonderful feedback and we're so excited to bring them on board. And what do you think is the future of the Tri founding Tri Lady Julie? Um, what What do you think the future of it is now that we've gone through this interesting metamorphosis? I think that what has happened in the past only makes us stronger for the future. 
So I, again, whatever we learn from this year and any year previously to this one only builds upon what we do for the years to come. We hope, of course, that Try for a Cure is a legacy for Maine Cancer Foundation and for the women of Maine. Um, we've already seen some children that have gone from being three when we first started to now doing the race and you know mothers and daughters doing it together so we hope that there'll be many more years of many generations of families of women doing the race um, again in honor of of people with cancer that sounds great so the website is tryforcure.org and you're taking donations no matter what time of year and you can participate that way if you want to learn more about the Try for a Cure. Thanks so very much, Julie and Julia, for joining us. It was a great story. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a production of Maine Biz. Find out more about this podcast and other Maine Biz media products at mainebiz.biz. The Day That Changed Everything is sponsored by Norway Savings Bank, Maine Technology Institute, or MTI, and Sutherland Weston. The Main Biz podcast team includes Renee Cordes, Will Hall, Maureen Milliken, Allison Nason, Andrea Tetzlaff, and Donna Broussard. Audio editor and producer is Chris Sedenka. Logo and marketing designer is Matt Selva. The Main Biz podcast team also thanks Peter Van Allen, Betsy Vanderplug, Ken Hansen for their contributions. Subscribe to the Main Biz podcast at mainbiz.biz or via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Copyright 2020.